0: Medical information is not intended as individual medical consultation, but for general education only. Always consult your own health professional for personalized advice regarding medical decisions. And if you're in the Seattle area, consider making an appointment to consult with us. I'm Helen Nguyen, CEO and co-founder of 3W Medical for Women and the host of today's podcast. Thank you so much, Wellness Wednesday listeners. I'm back in the studio. I am back with the lovely Emily Bourne, who is going to continue our conversation about how to prepare for an at-home birth and her experience. And she's such a wealth of knowledge that I had to have her back because this affects a lot of people. And it's always so wonderful to be able to reach out to someone that have actually experienced it, went through it, done it successfully, and to just you know work out some of the kinks that some people are might be hesitant to step into the at home birth kind of world. But Emily is so gracious to to be back on this call with me. So hi, Emily. Thanks for coming back.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So much for having me. I'm seriously stoked to be here.
0: (laughs) You're so cute. She's so cute. And I'm just, you know, after talking to you on our last interaction, our last podcast, I just gained so much more knowledge and comfort. Like I was one of those people that are like, never in a million years would I give birth at home. And I just recently was in a labor and delivery room at a hospital with my sister, who so I just gained another little niece. Congrats! Thank you. And it was such a again, it was such a beautiful experience, such a wonderful experience. And just on a side note, a lot of people reached out, which was very kind of people because I've shared with you, Emily. I I'm I deal with infertility, so I I probably will never have this opportunity to give birth or have any of that type of experience. But a lot of people reached out when I shared on Instagram that I just gained a little niece and I was there for my sister during her delivery. And they were like, are you OK? Like, were you like, it's OK to have these feelings of like jealousy, of like not being able to have, like, go through labor and all of that stuff. And I I really appreciate because it came from a really loving and supportive place but let me tell you girl i gotta give it to you moms that push out these children i'm like i'm okay with not having that experience (laughs) like i am totally secure with where i am because i have a wonderful little boy at home you know just turned two and through the process of adoption and the gift of that i'm able to have a child but like i was totally like no i'm cool (laughs) like and i gotta give it to you guys like She came out and she's like six pounds and this little, little thing, this little kitty. And it was so amazing. I'm just like, how did that Mm -hmm. fit inside of you? Like that's.
1: Yeah. Doing the math. Like I laid my baby on my belly right after he was born. Yeah. And I said, I'm never doing that again.
0: (laughs) Where did you even go? Yeah. Like how do they get like squished up in there? And I guess that's why they have to come out because there's just no more room. But then I'm like, how do you like, there's these kids that are coming out like nine, 10 pounds. And I'm like, holy cats. Like, whoa, crazy, crazy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, There's
1: some big babies out there. It really shows the uniqueness of everyone's body and how, you know, your baby is created in utero to be able to be birthed by you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's amazing. It made me think of you and how you did it, like at home. And so I wanted to just build on our last conversation. Like, how did you prepare for this at home birth? And I know we covered a little bit about that at our last conversation, but like, let's get down to really detailed stuff. Like, did you have to get like special blankets and like what? Where do you? Where do you? Is there like a at home birth store? (laughs) <laughs> like a Walmart for that or like what are you where do you go
1: for that yeah stuff? so I'll start by saying preparing for home birth I put it into two categories the physical and then the spiritual mm-hmm. there is you know a very distinct difference obviously between the two but they're, mm-hmm. they're both equally important okay for different reasons I'll start with the physical preparation because there's, you know, nitty gritty pieces that you kind of want to prepare for since we have the luxuries of modern day experiences. Um, and we're not, you know, in caves anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty easy to just move to a different cave. if you're like, Oh, this is looking a little like a crime scene. (laughs) If you uh, choose to do a home birth with a midwife, Mm -hmm. Usually they will have a supply list ready for you. Um, and it can vary from provider to provider, but if we're just generally speaking, we'll say home birth and I'll include things that you would want for the water birth. If that's something that you're interested in, Mm -hmm. you are going to want towels. Mm -hmm. I recommend going to Goodwill and just clearing out their towel section. You're going to get things that you are okay with throwing away. So Mm. you do not have to deal with getting like blood and poop and weird stains out of fabric 24 to 48 hours postpartum. Yeah. So yeah, Goodwill, that's where my midwife sent me. She's like, just grab some towels at Goodwill. They're used for, you know, a variety of things, drying you off. If you're getting in and out of the tub, Mm -hmm. helping you kind of pat down the baby after they arrive. I mean, you can, you can use your imagine- imagination for what a towel mm-hmm. would be beneficial for. I had probably five big towels, a few washcloths, and some like smaller hand towels, mostly just because I went a little crazy at Goodwill. And I was like, <laughs> oh, these are only a dollar $1.50. Yeah. Yeah. And then washcloths, I would put those in like a separate category. I went to Walmart and got a, a pack of like 10 black washcloths. And again, you can use them for a lot of different things. But one thing that is very nice in labor is if you are pushing or when you get to the pushing stage, You can prepare them by like rolling them up and putting them in a crock pot with some warm water to have a warm compress for your cranium Mm. during that pushing to help hopefully keep it intact. Mm -hmm. Some midwives and doulas just offer their hand, but it can kind of help ease the skin open as it starts to stretch as baby's Mm -hmm. head crowns. Yeah, And some women really prefer just like a warm compress.
0: Mm.
1: So washcloths are great for that. And that is a great additional tool that your midwife may or may not recommend to you. Additionally, shower tarps or like shower liners, the plastic ones that go into the shower. They're nice because they're waterproof. You can put them on your bed. You can put them on the floor. It makes cleanup really easy because Everything stays there. Nothing seeps into your carpet or into your bed sheets. Mm -hmm. And you can just, you know, buy them for three or $4 and toss them out at the end. Mm -hmm. And then my midwife recommended, and I would recommend to everyone to have both an extra set of sheets ready to go and a pair of sheets that you don't care about. Mm -hmm. And we, we had a pair of sheets that we didn't care about set aside and ready to go Mm -hmm. so that we could have our bed made lay down the shower tarp and then put sheets back over that. So my butt wasn't hitting like a cold plastic shower tarp. Right, right. And that's really helpful so that you have, you know, a comfortable place in your house. And it's still familiar to you. Like if they're your sheets, it was like an old pair that we used years ago. Yeah. And then we, I think we kept them and we now have stuff that we kept from our birth kind of tucked away for our next birth so that it's just, available and ready to go, but we're not using them on our bed anymore. (laughs) Yeah, And that again, that'll make cleanup really easy because you can take those first sheets off, wash them, throw them out if you need to take the shower tarp off. And then you have a fresh bed still underneath. So you can get right in it after you're cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Additionally, if you are planning or wanting a birth pool in your home, Your midwife may have one available for you to rent or you can purchase one. They run a little bit steep. So if your midwife doesn't have them available, there's likely midwives like in the area that you could rent them from or groups on Facebook. However, you meet moms Mm -hmm. um, that might have one available, but there are specific birth pools that you can purchase. And if it's too expensive I didn't end up using one. I was in my bath for most of my labor and that proved to be totally fine. Okay. But with the pool, usually you'll purchase a liner. There are like specific liners that you can put into the pool. Or again, you can use something like a tarp Okay. Um, and just get a big plastic sheet. You could, if it's your pool, then just putting a liner into it. Yeah. Um, So I highly recommend liner. And if you're renting it, they'll likely require that you use a liner.
0: Yeah. Wait, so you, and additionally, you can't, you can't just like go to Walmart and get like a kiddie pool. Like that's not cool.
1: (laughs) You could, the risk is the structure. So Uh, with birth pools, they're pretty structured around the side because depending on what position you feel comfortable laboring in some positions like froggy is where you're kind of like bent over with your almost in a squat, you can go with less than that. You know, you can have just a couple towels, Mm -hmm. one, you know, plastic tarp, or you can plan to birth in your shower or tub. It really comes down to you and what you want. Mm -hmm. And then additionally, if your midwife has any recommendations, suggestions, or potentially requirements for Mm -hmm. what you need at home.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for going over the physical part of an at-home birth and like the materials and supplies you need. And you mentioned mentally and spiritually. How does that play into it?
1: Yeah. And I will add on the physical, it's not technically included with like birth supplies, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would always like every new mom that I interact with, I recommend that they have a meal that's easily like accessible Mm -hmm. For immediate postpartum, those first couple hours, you're going to be hungry. You've just labored for who knows how many hours Yes, Um, and you want to keep your body full of nutrient dense foods, Um, Mm -hmm. lots of fats, lots of simple. um, So we had a lot of stuff just in our fridge, a lot of snacks that we could grab. So that way, as soon as baby was born, I had food to eat Mm -hmm. and I also had snacks available to me during labor. Like granola bars, honey sticks. Mm. Some people do like yogurt or bananas. Just really easy to eat foods Mm -hmm. that will help give you that immediate burst of energy. But yeah, moving into the spiritual and the mental preparation. Personally, I would argue that this is more important than the physical preparation. Because at the end of the day, the baby might come out when you're in the car. Mm -hmm. You cannot predict birth. You can't predict how your labor is going to go or what you're going to want or not want, mm-hmm. but you can predict or at least plan for how you're going to metabolize it and experience it. And so this process for me began almost immediately. I did a lot of reparenting work in the years prior to even meeting my now husband. I've been working on reparenting since my late teen years and going through and learning about parenthood and what, you know, secure attachment looks like and how to respond to toddler tantrums. Mm. And I became super familiar with the world of birth, parenthood, postpartum, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And as I got closer and closer to, you know, my 20s and then my mid-20s, knowing that I wanted to have a baby soon, Mm -hmm. that work shifted into preparing for pregnancy and preparing for birth Mm -hmm. and immediate postpartum, which is talked about often at a surface level, but I don't think we ever really get into like a deeper conversation about those first few weeks because it looks so drastically different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some steps that we can all take To ensure that that first like wave of hormones that we experience in the early weeks postpartum, Mm -hmm. uh, we're ready for them, and we have a way to cope. So this was again a very long process for me. I basically made it my part-time job: subconscious reprogram anxiety. I suffered with anxiety for a really long time, Mm -hmm. and I knew that when my baby came out. I was at risk for postpartum anxiety, which leads to potentially things like postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I needed to set myself up for success very early. Mm -hmm. I worked through fear by doing meditation and facing my fears and looking at them and saying, what am I afraid of in my pregnancy? Preeclampsia was one that I really worried about. And so I learned what to look out for, Mm -hmm. what some of the symptoms were, but then I addressed the underlying root of why I was afraid of preeclampsia. And for me, that fear was my control being taken away Mm -hmm. and, you know, having to transfer to a hospital or having this pop up and then not being prepared to deal with what the other side of it looked like. Mm -hmm. And so throughout my subconscious like reprogramming which looked like dropping into a meditation um, and then going through and assessing childhood memories where that fear is stored Mm -hmm. where I had you know my control taken away from me and then coming in as my adult self to my inner child and making the situation right or showing myself all the times that I you know felt out of control but was able to recover from it. Mm. or I had control taken from me and I restored it to myself. Mm. And I really came in touch with my intuition in a way that I never had through that process.
0: Mm.
1: And so I began, you know, doing all of this reprogramming, really addressing my fears and going further than just the fear of a medical event. Mm -hmm. I also did a lot of journaling. When I would do these meditations, I would sometimes journal beforehand to kind of loosen up my subconscious and figuring out, you know, where that anxiety was coming from, because sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't know what's causing it. And so I would just journal what was on my mind, drop into a meditation, do this like inner healing work, and then come out on the other side and figure out where in my childhood that fear was coming up or that anxiety was coming up and then Right through it, and I revisited my journal entries often to just review the progress that I was making throughout this
0: healing process. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is so interesting because I remember my grandma telling us that she did it in a you know she gave birth in a hut you know with no Mm -hmm. sterilization with nothing there a midwife just comes down the road and is available to you and she did that with twelve kids, and so yeah. In our modern world and in a, in a society, in a, in a country that's very well off, there's still these perpetuated fears that have been passed down from generation to generation. And why is that? And then there's also, there's like this, this fear mongering <clears throat> around a lot of talk about motherhood and raising children and birthing children of like, it's going to hurt so bad, you might die. All these fears, instead of like talking about it in a way that is very... Joyful and life giving and uplifting, there's not as much spotlight on that versus the continuation of layering of trauma when it doesn't have to be that way, when very little of it Mm -hmm. actually goes down that road. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to squash anyone's experience of there was trauma in their pregnancy or their birthing experience. Of course there is. But I think the degree of that has lessened through the years of the advancement of of medicine and healthcare in general. And so that's so interesting that you had to unpack that yourself. Was that ever something that you came to a conclusion that like influenced this anxiety induced approach to preeclampsia, like you said? Did you hear a lot of like women in your your community or in your own home that talked about pregnancy in a way that was not always in a positive note that do you think influenced you?
1: That is a great question. Because when you're looking at the grand scheme of things, you know, everyone is going to have an individual experience of how motherhood and pregnancy and birth has been portrayed to them. Mm-hmm. I may have blown up my preeclampsia anxiety a little bit. <laughs> it came up once, probably around like 16 to 18 weeks. Yeah. Um, and I had to, you know, accept that that was a reality and that was something that happened. And it's yeah. actually one of the leading causes of maternal death in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a very real thing. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had to definitely assess that. But growing up, my mother was a labor and delivery nurse. And so I heard the horror stories, but my mom thankfully had four uneventful, successful vaginal deliveries in a hospital Mm -hmm. that we talk about birth has definitely, you know, I think it impacts all of us and it impacted the conversations that i was having mm. and the way that people looked at me and the way they viewed my my birth plan my motherhood whether i was really qualified for this because don't you know the risks mm. and everybody's so quick to talk about the risks but they don't actually understand a lot of the trauma and a lot of the Intense interventions like cesareans, Mm -hmm. those come after multiple additional interventions that aren't that bad or they're not very invasive. You have an increased risk of cesarean when you do an elective induction. You Mm -hmm. have so many different things playing against you when you walk into a hospital and you turn a natural event. Into a medical event mm. and hospitals are great for people who do need that extra support, mm-hmm. but as a whole, as a society, we have turned it birth majorly into a medical event, mm-hmm. which is all of us a disservice because now we're running out of women who know what physiological birth is. Mm. and how to go through it and how to experience it and how to surrender to it. And that disconnects us from our bodies that disconnects us from our like feminine energy. If you want to get really woo woo, Mm -hmm. but it causes a ripple effect throughout our society and throughout our lineages.
0: Mm -hmm. So So, how, how did you come? How did you come to this realization that giving birth is a superpower that you had? Because a lot of women these days think that it is a disadvantage or it's a way Mm -hmm. for the patriarchy to control us. You know, there's like a lot of that type of quote unquote feminist language that is being shoved down our throat versus empowering us of like, this is an amazing ability, an amazing superpower that we have to not only give life, but to sustain life and to grow this little person, right? Like we're the Mm -hmm. only animals on the planet that could create a human being. And yet we constantly are either trying to avoid it, delay it, put fear into it. You know, all sorts of this negative like energy, this like men can't do it, I'm sorry. Like
1: yeah. every time
0: I get a cramp, you know, during my period or something and my husband's like, are you okay? Wow, it feels like something like I experienced. Like, no, don't even go there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't do it, yeah. trust, trust me. You know, it's like this. this, you know, and being a young person, you know, why were you, I feel like you were like, shielded from that, you know, and you were able to make it past that. That's amazing.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So first off, because this can be a really touchy subject for people, I do want to just acknowledge trans men and women and that trans men do have the ability in some cases to get pregnant. Non-binary people can get pregnant. So Mm -hmm. in using men and women as my like statements, I do just want to like that out there that I do see you and I do include you guys in this conversation. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about things like patriarchy, that power that patriarchy has seeks to control the things that they can't understand and they seek power over things that they can't control. Mm -hmm. So when you see women literally gifted with the ability to create and sustain life. That is your next generation of workers. That's your next generation of people who are going to be in their nine to five role, Mm -hmm. fight the army or fight the battles, whatever generation you're talking about. And that is part of the reason that birth was turned into a medical event. It was in an attempt to control and harness the power of of nature, mm. which is inherently a very feminine, very flowy, uncontrollable thing. Mm. And we see this everywhere. I mean, everywhere that there is that feminine energy, that birth and death and rebirth, there is someone trying to control it. Uh, the way we interact with nature, the way we interact, like our agriculture system, we use and abuse the power that is Being able to create and sustain life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's no different with humans. Mm -hmm. We introduced hospital birth, and initially it was dangerous because doctors were going from the morgue to their birthing patients Mm -hmm. and putting their gross hands (laughs) inside a woman, and there was disease rampant. Right, right. Where in equal settings with midwives, that disease wasn't present. Mm -hmm. So there has always been issues with birth as a medicalized event, but it's an on purpose thing Mm -hmm. and reason that we have so much fear surrounding birth Mm -hmm. because you're right. Women are the only ones who can birth and create life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So if we fully step into that power and we fully acknowledge that as our birthright, as something that only we are able to do, if we are empowered by that, we can look at the patriarchy and we can squash it. We can say, I don't want to play that game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel confident in my body. I'm going to trust the process of birth. I'm going to live empowered. Mm -hmm. And when you have a huge group of women living empowered in their bodies, Mm -hmm there's less control for the patriarchy. There's less control of us in the medical system Mm -hmm. through birth. Mm -hmm. And when you look at things like golden hour, breastfeeding, the U S has some of the lowest breastfeeding rates of other developed countries. You know, think what you want, but I feel that it is a very convenient design because we cut mothers off from their intuition. We encourage the individual in a baby instead of honoring the mother-baby dyad. And Mm -hmm. we create these insecure attachments between mothers and their children. And -hmm. when we start that from birth and we advertise it and we put it in movies and we make birth painful and scary and then we put the baby in the nursery away from mother in every Mm -hmm. movie, and every TV show, when you're told by your doctor who you trust that that's normal, Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to believe that because mm-hmm. you believe that these people have your best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I truly believe that doctors have your best interests in mind most of the time, but they were taught in a system that doesn't. And that's where it gets tricky. No, mm-hmm. for the most part, no individual is out to get you, but we mm-hmm. have this system, this structure created mm-hmm. that is that is working against you. Mm-hmm. So for me, I I just knew. I just had that feeling in my gut. I can't trace it back to one moment in time or one realization. Mm-hmm. I just knew as soon as I heard about home birth. I said, "That's the way I'm going to do it." As I have gone through it and gone through pregnancy and am now living in motherhood, I see that it was you know, by design for me to feel so convicted to birth at home, because Mm -hmm. now I'm in this really privileged position of being able to educate and discuss this with mothers and women and with feminist women. I mean, I consider myself a feminist woman. Um, And sometimes in those spaces, your traditional home birth mom doesn't resonate with feminism and vice versa. It becomes this divide when you really get into it. We are looking to empower women, to give them their voice back, to get them out from underneath the boot of patriarchy. And Mm -hmm. you inherently cannot do that if you're continuing to go into a patriarchal system to do something as ancient and Mm -hmm. as purposeful as birth your baby. As Mm -hmm. soon as you step into the hospital walls Mm -hmm. and I get preachy, but that is the moment. That's the first intervention. That you walk into. And most Mm. women do it without thinking twice. Yeah,
0: Yeah. there's such a, there's such a, I think we need to look at feminism as a spectrum, right? There is, there should be space for all of us and all experiences and all walks of life. And yet Mm -hmm. we introduce division. We introduce these types of, okay, if you don't fit, This mold of what a feminist looks like in this modern era, then you're not really a feminist. You're not called a feminist. You're anti-feminist. You're, you know, incorporating, you're still under the brainwash of the patriarchy, which is so not uplifting and good for other women to do to to women because that's using this other power to then control our conversations and control how we are supposed to think and live and all of that stuff. So, I mean, you you hit on a really interesting topic of like being women and being able to create life and sustain life. How do you feel about our world stripping away those titles from women? So there's this movement now to, to strip away, to say like, people have, who give birth versus Mm -hmm. if you don't have, unfortunately, if you don't have that anatomy, you're not going to be able to sustain that pregnancy. You're not going to be able to bring that pregnancy into fruition or, or there's, there's this movement to remove the word breastfeeding, you Mm -hmm. know, to chest feeding, you know, and again, for someone that might never experience those kind of things. It's very confusing for me, mm-hmm. but someone that has experienced it like you and the, I'm sorry, but like the overall empowerment of that, mm-hmm. how do you feel about, about these terms being essentially watered down when yeah. there are people that cannot breastfeed? Yeah. I think that's a great question because I think about
1: this often and I my initial thought when hearing all of this go around, it was, you know, people on news channels, news anchors making this a segment. It was mm-hmm. a controversy. And I look at that as another place for us to divide. And mm-hmm. if we are constantly divided on whether you want to call it chest feeding or breastfeeding or people or women, it is, in my opinion, not the point. And I have several transgender friends and I know if I was going to go to them and talk about breastfeeding and I said breastfeeding, they're not going to correct me and say it's feeding. And when you talk to individuals, most often they don't stop and correct you. They don't look at you weird when they are also empowered in their bodies and they feel comfortable and confident in what their bodies are capable of. Or if they're well adjusted, normal people, they're not going to get on you for the language that you use as long as it is not seriously offensive. If you're talking to a trans man who gave birth and had a baby, yes, you might want to be a little bit more considerate about the language that you use. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about this, you know, big public outrage on whether we want to change these terms or you know, the argument of whether or not we should, mm-hmm. I just see that as another place for division. And I I tend to ignore it. Um, and I focus more on the individual conversations because that's where things are going to get done. And that's where I'm going to be able to empower women or people or whoever is pregnant mm-hmm. to tap into their intuition. Because I think when you are comfortable and secure
0: mm-hmm. in yourself,
1: um, you don't have to worry about things like that. And you don't have to fight and nitpick over terminology. So mm-hmm. I use all of those things interchangeably. I often say people when I'm talking about giving birth, because I am in spaces with LGBTQ plus individuals, and I want to be respectful of that. Sure, um, but I also yeah. work with That is pretty religious. So I do use women in that setting Mm -hmm. because I don't know who I'm going to run into. Um, We may have some people who are uncomfortable with chest feeding or Mm -hmm. people who birth. But again, I use people who birth and chest feeding and breastfeeding interchangeably. And no one has ever commented when it's one-on-one. And the commentary really comes when you are on the internet a lot. (laughs) and yeah. when you post something on your instagram story it's way easier to get angry at an well, infographic than yeah. your friends face to face
0: well so it I comes do back down I'm- to these it comes back down to these institutions that make these mm-hmm. blanket statements for a group of people or a community of people that says now this is offensive to everybody mm-hmm. and in the real world in the real exchange when you sit across the table from someone or having a conversation from someone that you with someone that genuinely cares about you you know, their heart, you know, where they're coming from. There's, there's a true practice of tolerance there versus of (laughs) course on a screen, you know, on the internet, it's so much more cowardly to be able to hide behind those types of barriers and say mean, nasty things to each other. But
1: to just add on to that briefly, the percentage of like trans individuals or non-binary individuals who do go through the process of birth and parenthood, is small compared to people who identify as, you know, cis uh women. Mm-hmm. And so when we are talking at a structural level, I do think that there is a little bit of a setback when we erase women. And I do believe that that is the patriarchal desire for control. Mm-hmm. And again, that divisiveness, it's so intertwined, right. but at the large picture, birth and maternal health is a women's issue, but there is room for inclusivity within that. And personally, I do believe that my trans friends would agree with me. And of course, I'm always open to changing my mind later, but I felt yeah. like that is, you know, worth mentioning because um, when you remove women from the scene entirely, it is a lot easier to step on women's rights and to mm-hmm. strip them away.
0: Right. Yeah, I totally agree about that in the sense of I think, like you said, you know, you you're able to sit across the table from many people who identify as many things. And it's like you should be able to express and walk away from conversations that are respectful and tolerant, really practice true tolerance. But it seems like our world these days continue to just add fuel to the flame versus building a cohesive conversation and give give respect and give power to like women that that have gone through this process like you like you mm-hmm. can't i hate it when people are trying to like silence you or like strip away that experience because it didn't fit their paradigm and it's yeah. like can't do that that was mm-hmm. that would deny this beautiful experience that you had with your child with your husband in your home because of something that they feel, you know, they couldn't have or or something like that. Um yeah. but it takes it takes true tolerance to be able to to have a conversation with someone and be like I I respect that and I love that and um I love you and that's all that that really matters at the end of the day. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, and I do think that people sitting in that fear and that worry they are going to project that onto me. That was part of the work that I have been. It is part of the work that I'm doing currently, um, as I move into a space of working one on one with women who are trying to conceive or um, have found out that they're pregnant, in kind of healing and reprogramming those like neural pathways and inner child, you know, childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. But I have been. Working to do the work. And I think most people who reach that point of wanting to share with others, um, you have to come to terms with the fact that people are going to project onto you. People are going to, you know, fear you, dislike you. They will be potentially jealous of you and you're going to receive that as anger or hatred. And so being able to accept that and know that I am just like, You know, a splash pad for their own insecurities and fears has been a huge, just mindset shift for me as I continue to share about my own journey.
0: Yeah. That's so, that's so wise of you to, before you even stepped into bringing another little person into the world, working on yourself, most people don't see the wisdom in that or see the need for something like that. Cause it's like, what makes you think like you got it all figured out. And then you introduce this new little person and then you're like, oh crap, you know, like you're just perpetuating maybe trauma or, you know, something negative in your life onto another person that will Mm -hmm. continue the the line down. But, um, that is so cool that you did that, that you were self-aware enough to, to do that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that our society at large, right now, when it comes to women's health, maternal health, birth, parenthood, we're sitting in this place of fear, which mm-hmm. is why we see so much mom shaming because mm-hmm. we need people to do it our way, or else our way isn't validated. And we can't find that validation within ourselves because, again, our connection to intuition has been strategically taken away from us as women historically. Mm -hmm. And when you are able to come back home and come into your body and really experience the present and experience what it feels like to have your gut tell you, yes, like you are doing the right thing. You Mm -hmm. no longer need to look to other people. To like confirm, like, is this the right choice? Am I doing the right thing? Am I going mm-hmm. with the status quo? Is this going to be accepted? Because mm-hmm. you move out of that place of needing validation from others and needing acceptance mm-hmm. and needing to be part of the pack. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of work. That is not just to sit down in an afternoon, do some journaling, and then you're yeah. good. It is yeah. deconstructing. So many years of your life and so much of the internalized programming that you grew up with, especially, especially for people who were raised as girls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I love where this conversation went because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people need to be aware of that. They think, well, I'm just going to get married, pop out some kids and it's all going to be hunky dory. And it's like, no, we go through these life altering experiences right. that get passed down through our lineage and how do we prepare for this amazing milestone in in a lot of our in a lot of our lives to create these little people that will go on to be healthy and happy and what does that yeah. really look like for them mm-hmm. as a parent to a child kind of situation so i just really, I'm so thank you for your vulnerability and thank you for your ability to share in such a authentic way, because I think a lot of people need to like, whoa, I need to do some meditative journaling (laughs) to like, yeah, to like really enter into this next phase of their lives and be encouraged to do so without shame Mm -hmm. or intolerance from anybody else. Um, because no one else could walk through that journey, but but you yourself and how much are you willing to invest in yourself?
1: Exactly. I mean, look at, look at what we spend on weddings versus what we spend on birth. Look at the binders, the preparation. And of course, I love a good wedding, (laughs) but you know, we treat marriage as a rite of passage. You go from singleness to being a couple. And that is so Mm -hmm. transformative and beautiful Mm -hmm. And yeah. we need to treat birth with the same amount of reverence. I'm like, get the yes. preacher in here. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. But We truly, yeah, we have lost that rite of passage, the ceremony of, of pregnancy, the ceremony of birth. And mm-hmm. this, you know, transcends religion. This is just mother nature. This is who you were born as, and it yes. is a process that you were designed to go through. And yeah. Every person, you know, you get the baby that you need um, Mm -hmm. and you get the pregnancy and the birth that you need to work to heal you, to move you forward. It is, in my opinion, destiny, fate, I'm all for it. I truly, (laughs) truly believe that when you begin talking to women who've gone through pregnancy and birth and motherhood. You see mm-hmm. the way that their pregnancy and birth and motherhood journey has uniquely transformed them into oh, yeah. the next rendition of themselves. Yeah. And you know, we we also demonize aging. Everything mm-hmm. that women go through becomes this controversial thing, something that's stripped mm-hmm. away.
0: The mm-hmm. you know,
1: young, virgin, prepubescent woman is. Our vision of ideal womanhood. Mm. And you know, that has so many implications as we move through birth, pregnancy, Mm -hmm. our body changing, getting Mm -hmm. older. And we Mm -hmm. lose at the end of all of that the wise women and the crones who Mm -hmm. understand the process of birth, the ceremony of all these things, who can offer Mm -hmm. true sage wisdom. And Mm -hmm. instead, we see the archetype of this like jealous, bitter, Mm. old hag who can't (laughs) truly offer wisdom from a place of, of whatever you want to call it, transcendence,
0: peace,
1: knowledge, because she was told that she was not worthy anymore because she's moved through all of those things. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, what does she have left to offer society stage advice? We don't need that she should try Botox. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Look completely different than what she actually yeah. looks like. You know, let's change everything about that. There's, there's just some things that, you know, one of my mentors always say there are no shortcuts, you know, some things you mm-hmm. just, you have to get through this, this, this mud, this, this stage of waiting mm-hmm. in something kind of difficult to then make it on the other side going wow I really I made it out and I'm a different person and I'm a transformed person because of that mm-hmm. experience and it's good it's probably good for me to have gone through that and yeah. not have everything handed to me or or something like that so thank you yeah. Emily this was such a cool conversation and and how your experience has evolved into a this much bigger crusade in some ways of like empowering women from all different angles and making sure that those divisions don't exist in your world. So thank you so much for your voice yeah. and your ability to advocate for women and children in such a um, a beautiful perspective. So thank you so much of for that. Of
1: course. Yeah. I literally will take any opportunity to talk <laughs> about this stuff. It is my life's purpose. It's the journey that I'm meant to be on and it feels so aligned and so beautiful. So thank you for, you know, having me back on to have this talk.
0: Oh gosh. Anytime. I know we'll have you back again because you're just this wealth of knowledge. And again, people need to understand that there's so many different angles to to look at motherhood and birthing and, and how do we partner with each other to walk alongside each other. And there's not this cookie cutter. You know, sometimes I think of the hospital system and how industrialized labor Mm -hmm. and delivery has become like, you know, you're just like, I don't know, ushered into this, this barn and then everybody lines up and it's like, boop, boop, boop. But it's like, it loses this, 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 innate beautifulness that we were created to do. So thank you for kind of reminding us that it doesn't have to look that way if it, if that's not what you want. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you have any fear about that, that there are plenty of people who've made it out and it's been awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We made it out for the better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, for this thank
0: you. And mm-hmm. it's always lovely to see you and, and have you back on. Yeah. Thank you, listeners. If you have any comments about this, we touched on a lot of fascinating topics and different perspectives that I think we I would really love to hear just people's perspective on this. So please tune in, give a, Emily or I a shout out because we'd love to hear from you. So thank you, Emily. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> For more information about 3W, please visit our website at 3wmedical.org. That's the number three, the letter W, medical.org. From there, you can learn more information about the services we provide, book an appointment, or make a donation if you'd like to support our mission. You can also call our office at 206-588-0311. That's 206-588-0311. If you like this episode, please share it with others and consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay healthy and be well.